I'm only gonna tell you this once. That is now your chair, Captain. My friends, the great experiment. The view, Picard. Head, drink, drink. Would you look at that? The greatest drink, drink. But you people, you're all astronauts on some kind of star drink. Welcome to Greatest Trek. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. The day is finally upon us. They <laughs> promised us a third season of Star Trek Picard. Yeah. Or maybe a first season. <laughs> <laughs> I went back and watched the, uh, the finale of season two. Because I was like, where where were things left? Yeah. Last time. Uh, the main takeaway was Captain Rios dying in a bar fight and that being turned into, like, some noble way to go. <laughs> and best of all, his last breath was into a cigar. Leaving a son grieving for his dead-in-a-bar-fight father. Right. And also Picard getting a second chance with Laris, right? Like, that was maybe the larger thrust of the thing. I had totally blanked on what where we left things with Laris. So uh, yeah. it was a big surprise for me in this episode. But I also, like, I kind of anticipate that this may be where a lot of people enter the Star Trek Picard series. I feel the same way, yeah. And so I think it's interesting what they are calling back from old seasons and what they aren't. And... I feel like they do a nice job with that. Like, that's yeah. not an easy needle to thread. Yeah. You know, not to start reviewing this episode <laughs> before we're even out of the Marin Open, but... Uh, it's tough when you've got three showrunners in three seasons, right? Like, Terry Metalis was part showrunner for season two, but now this is his show yeah. for season three. But, like, it's hard to ignore that two different perspectives up until now have given us... Two showrunners processing their personal traumas via <laughs> characters that we've loved for decades. And uh, yeah, I was I was kind of preparing myself for what this one would do. I detect a little derision in uh, your assessment of uh, showrunners using characters to process their trauma, but I don't think I would do any different. Yeah? If I got some characters from a show I love, you know, if I was... Directing the 2024 reboot of Baywatch, where we bring back the whole cast. It's uh, Baywatch colon Mitch. <laughs> I don't want to watch a series with sad Craig Pomeroy <laughs> processing the death of his mother. No thanks. Well. And let's face it, Craig Pomeroy would be the star of a reboot, wouldn't he? <laughs> Baywatch Pomeroy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think anyone would know what that was, Adam. <laughs> yeah. And that is why a Baywatch reboot show ran by me would fail. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you need to go back necessarily if you're new to the series. I don't think there's anything wrong with going back, but I also think that based on, you know, I've only seen one episode of this show, I would say that uh, you're fine not. It doesn't seem like you're going to like be completely out of your depth with anybody. Now, I would also expect some new viewers to Greatest Trek jumping in at this point, yeah? No, no. Welcome new viewers. Fictional new viewers that Adam has conjured out of thin air and is now talking to. Okay. 
We've got plenty. <laughs> I'm brimming with confidence for this new season mm. of both Greatest Trek and Picard Season 3. Do you want to get right into it, Ben? Yeah, we could jump right in. All right, here we go. It is Star Trek Picard Season 3, the final season, we've been told. And it's Episode 1. It's called The Next Generation. This ship and her history will shortly become the care of another crew. They will continue the voyages we have begun. The greatest trek. They didn't consider the greatest generation, apparently. Oh, they did in some ways <laughs> that I think we'll get into later. <laughs> the show logo features the Titan zipping around the Starfleet Delta yeah. on this series. That's the twist. <laughs> yeah, the Titan is our hero ship. Yeah. Clearly. We also get some very nostalgic uh, film fonts with our opening mm -hmm. sequence and nostalgic for old seasons of this very series opening on a star field with some old-timey music. Yeah. That's a Star Trek Colin Picard classic right there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the Star Trek DJ working the dual gramophone set up, you know, ready to lay down the yeah. old-timey music. It doesn't look quite as cool when you only put one of the huge gramophone cones up to your ear. Yeah. But this is also a music track I recognized from one of the Fallout video games. Oh. Yeah, so I was immediately put in mind of, like, roving the wastelands and getting into gunfights with mutants and stuff. Oh, well, that's incoming. Yeah, yeah. We get some reverse Ferengi on their way in toward a Federation starship. And what do you uh, mean by that? They're like they look like those Ferengi ships, but backwards. You know, kind of like the first time we met the Ferengi, right? Remember the big reveal? Yeah. Of like the Ferengi <laughs> ships face you with their ass. Yeah, yeah. They're described as being like Yankee traders. <laughs> Was that how the Varangis were originally described? From the history of my forebears, Yankee traders. You know, what's interesting about that observation is is like the Shrike that we see later. Yeah. Looks like it's got the Ferengi... It does. ...needle nose of the ship sticking off of it, right? It does. But but this time, do you... I mean, this is a, this is a speculation. Are these little ships, you know, is the Shrike their mothership? And if so, why do you think they went with a like, hey, it's a very similar design, but you just fly these ones backwards relative to the big one? Well, A, <laughs> I believe that these little ships are of the Shrike as a mothership. And the reason I say that is because the Eyes Wide Shut aliens that board Crusher's ship are wearing the same masks, right? Mm, yeah. Masks. Masks. <laughs> we pan around inside this Federation ship before the action starts there's a lot of uh, a lot of junk i imagined an adam pranica watching this and just wanting to clean up wanting to straighten things up a little bit oh how dare you <laughs> i've got i've got a little bit of a captain shelf behind me yeah i don't know if you can see that oh yeah oh yeah you've got to move your head so that the camera automatically pans over i also need to move my ladder which has been in my studio for <laughs> weeks now yeah, and we can see the 
what Adam considers to be a clutter, which is like four objects put out on display. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I apologize for the mess. <laughs> uh, Beverly's clutter looks like a pearl necklace. Mm, yeah. And she's got some masks of her own. She's got the, the happy face, sad face drama masks. Yeah. Popularized by the, like, remember the first printer you ever got that, that printed out like you could print drama yeah and then uh, and yeah. then the image for drama was the happy face sad face it was uh yeah print shop deluxe yes and then you fold it in quarters and then that's a greeting card now i love that yeah. <laughs> i don't know why beverly crusher is listening to the best of both worlds podcast <laughs> But that's what she's got playing. It's the captain's log from Best of Both Worlds Part 1. Only way she can fall asleep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the log he records when he's about to do his walk before the great battle. Like, yeah. I remember that that log almost verbatim. Why is she listening to this for pleasure? I don't know. She's also got the blue drink of security breach sitting out yeah. there on the shelf. Are those Jack Crusher's cremains in the suitcase or is that like an old piece of luggage that he slept around with him when he was a, a lieutenant commander yeah i feel like they gave this to wesley at some point but now that wesley's a traveler of all space and time he doesn't uh you know oh god he has to pack light <laughs> yeah we did not recap what happened to wesley at the end of season two she starts this action sequence by locking a British guy up in another room on the ship and then arming herself with a rifle and then these masked baddies uh, come aboard the ship and uh, she gets in a great big gunfight. Gates looks great in that high collar action jacket, huh? She really does. Looking kind of Rathacani here. <laughs> you know, Rathacani is sort of like uh, if a Karen is really getting all up in your business. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If you don't like Karen, you're going to hate Connie. Yeah, yeah. And her wrath. <laughs> yeah. Connie's not trying to hold her back. I hated to see a phaser burst go through the action jacket collar, though, when uh, Beverly know. takes some some incoming fire. There yeah. also seemed to be some kind of like power drain thing that the bad guys did because she had to replace her rifle at some point. Yeah. Yeah, it's so frustrating to run out of uh, phaser rifle ammo, and that's what happens, and that's what gets your shot. Yeah. She does end up shooting a pipe full of gas above some guy, like the Jurassic Park reflection strategy mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. getting the jump on that guy. That was a nice detail. He hits the deck, and uh, when he hits the deck, she doesn't hate to shoot him, because <laughs> at that point, what's the difference? <laughs> TV guy got locked in a room by the bridge. He heard things mostly. <laughs> <laughs> Crusher, run the name. You're going to get the phone book. <laughs> run it anyway. You're going to get some guy who claims to be uh, of all space and time. <laughs> so she encodes a message using a, uh, a popular font from the early 2000s to, uh, to encode it. And then we go to the title of the show and a very like Wrath of Khan looking treatment for the episode title, which yeah. I really liked, but I feel like is is very intentionally specifically a Wrath of Khan look and feel. Yeah. 
I really love that we're not away from the action very long. We get our title and then we're back into the show. We don't get a long theme song with a bunch of credits. That part is saved for the end. And I really like that choice. Yeah. So Picard, we catch up with in uh, Chateau Picard. And he's, uh, it looks like some packing up is happening. He's hanging out with Laris. They're looking at his big painting of the D. He's got his Bluetooth gramophone going in his place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like the, uh, <laughs> yeah, those those glowy lights on the side so you can tell that, uh, you know, like if they ever took this on Antiques Roadshow, they'd be like, well, it's a shame the way it's been restored. This is not what collectors are looking for. I love the choice of the prop department here to just like do the blue light treatment to the gramophone. <laughs> what does it do? It turns blue. I mean, this is a wonderful heirloom for your family, but I'd estimate at auction that this would go for three to 400 credits maximum. I see. Unclear how much time has passed between the end of season two and season three, but it, it seems like Picard and Laris are still together. Seems like that's going great. He's going with her on a work trip of her own. And so they're like, I mean, I guess it's like a long-term deal, right? Like they're really packing the chateau the fuck up. I really saw myself in Picard maybe for the first time this episode because uh, back when I was freelancing, my wife, who famously has a real job, would occasionally go like overseas for work. Yeah. yeah. And I would just tag along and yeah. drink the way Picard is planning to. <laughs> yeah. I feel I'm asking a lot of you. No, I, I am looking forward to it. Yeah, he's looking forward to uh, crawling into a bottle of Saurian brandy and not even actually writing his memoirs. Just thinking about it. I was scared briefly in this scene because Picard seems pretty up for just giving away this awesome painting of the D, giving it to Jordy specifically. When someone starts giving away their prized possessions, that's kind of a cry for help in a way that that makes me nervous for Picard. Yeah. I didn't like this. Yeah. And also just the irony of old man gifting a painting to a blind man. <laughs> he will love it. <laughs> Don't you dare. He'll love the, the infrared signature of the painting. He's trying to make a case to Laris in this scene that he's not about legacy. He's he's about adventure. And this really felt like the script talking about the show and about what the show has been up till now and maybe making a case for this might be a slightly different look and feel this season. Yeah, I did like that moment. I agreed with it. Yeah. But also, how careful do you have to be? <laughs> like, if you're writing the dialogue here, you know? Right. I would say very careful, and I think they were. I think so, yeah. I want a new adventure. He doesn't say, like, I hope Q doesn't show up anytime soon, and then, like, a pregnant pause, and then nothing happens. <laughs> Isn't it strange that there's a giant space butthole being guarded by a Borg queen at this very moment? <laughs> <laughs> Hope nothing comes of that anyways. <laughs> so so uh, speaking of his memoirs, he's like up late writing something later that night. And we hear the unmistakable chime of a TNG communicator that his uh, Alexa that he has set up in his house cannot localize, which I feel like yeah. 
is just like one of those million things that you think a vocal personal assistant might be able to do and you ask and it doesn't. And it's just like, what the fuck do you do then? Thanks for your help. I looked down into this box that Picard had stored his old D uniform and com badge in. Mm. And I was like, either Picard is really shitty at storing things long-term because his his uniform is just like in a heap (laughs) in this box, (laughs) or he wears it all the time. And I think you know where he does that, Ben. Mm. (laughs) Like out to the... (laughs) Out to the bedroom. I, I was thinking he was like uh, going out to like the Foreign Legion Hall or whatever. And, you yeah. know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you pretend you're Tomalak, Lannis, <laughs> and I'll pretend I'm Captain Picard in season two. Now threaten me from across the neutral zone with your double D. <laughs> Get to it, Tomalak. Now, Lannis, I'm going to go into your neutral zone. <laughs> Now I'm in your neutral zone. (laughs) I have just gone into your neutral zone. I look forward to our next meeting, Captain. Dan Savage would be so proud. Picard's able to get this thing going by decrypting the Miriam codec that this thing has been encoded with. How dare this show make that the codec? I mean, they know I don't say that, right? I think that this show is talking to us sometimes, you know? I think so too. I think all of New Trek is littered with with greatest gen references. <laughs> I don't know. Are we crazy? No. Is this some Truman show shit? I think I think we can I think we've got friends of DeSoto on the inside. Here's clearly. the thing. Beverly is transmitting subtle code to Picard, and I think that the writers are transmitting subtle code to us in the same way. Yeah. Speaking of codes, mm. did you recognize this command code that Picard drops? Oh, yeah. 4-7 uh, Tango Alpha. Yeah. Picard 4-7 Alpha Tango, at one point, a password I used quite often. <laughs> and I'm saying that live on the radio Wow, because it no longer is. <laughs> well, because you turned on two-factor authentication. Right. But that's the destruct code from first contact. Yeah. He just blew up... The guest house on the vineyard. <laughs> yeah, you do see like like in soft focus in the distance out the window, a uh, little mushroom cloud go up. That's the basement where I hid that key. <laughs> and all those Borg are cemented into the walls. <laughs> so, uh... We got a video of wounded Beverly yeah. sending her distress signal to Picard. She gives him some coordinates. She gives him Hellbird. She says, trust no one in Starfleet. And Adam, this screamed nubbin bugs to me. Yeah. When, you, when you can't trust anyone in Starfleet, it is very hard for me to think of anything but conspiracy. Picard has heard this message before, almost verbatim. Something is beginning. Yeah. Don't. Trust anyone. Remember that, Jean-Luc. Trust no one. And like, when you think about the design of the ships and the Shrike with their pincers. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. <laughs> it's bug time, isn't it? Relish a new body. I am going to be shocked if they don't even get a mention. Like, I'm not saying I think that they're going to get a mention. I'm just going to be shocked if they do all of this imagery and these things that are nub and bunk adjacent and they just completely leave them alone. 
Yeah. Ah, what a tease. Yeah. So speaking of being teased, Picard uh, has clearly shared this message with Laris <laughs> now. And she's like, well, I guess you got to go save your old girlfriend. <laughs> I mean, this pierces the membrane of the relationship. Like, we've encountered this quite a bit. Like, what you are told in confidence is occasionally, you know, the inference is this is also for your wife, too. Like, there's an understanding about that. Right. But evidently, what Beverly says to Picard is just fine going to Laris. And Laris has some interesting thoughts about this. Like, Laris being an intelligence officer is like, you said you were excited to go on this work trip with me, but um, this sounds like a tasty case. And back when I was an intelligence officer, uh, I couldn't help but involve myself in something like this. You have to do it, even though she's your ex-girlfriend. You were just hobbling around here talking about how much you like adventures. Well, there it sits. <laughs> There's a real heaviness to their goodbye that suggests maybe one of two things. One, we are unfortunately not going to see Laris again this season <laughs> or maybe until the end, which sucks because I love Laris. Yeah. But also, like, there's such a sadness to it that she might know this is the end for him. Yeah. He doesn't gloss over the danger of of what may be happening here. And she's like, she obviously sees him as the old man that he is, her old man lover, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. It would have a different tone to it if they'd gotten married and she like stood to inherit the chateau and everything. <laughs> yeah. Well, part of it, the the part that I didn't just explode with my command code. Yeah. She's like, yeah, go do this super life-threatening dangerous adventure. You just restored the sunroom, Picard. <laughs> There's glass everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Now, anytime someone says blow up the damn shed, you just blow it up. <laughs> we dissolve to the 10 forward bar where yeah. I love this for Riker. Riker drinking alone, chatting up the bartender. This is this is peak old man shit right here. Yeah, yeah. Riker so hurt that the uh, 1701D models that Guinan is selling are uh, not a popular item. Oh, the fat ones? No one wants those. I've never thought that the D was fat. There's fat ship shaming going on here by the bartender. Yeah, yeah. The D isn't even that thick, you know? I know. A tasteful thickness of it. Oh, my God. So Picard rolls up. Doesn't take very long for him to arrive and apologizes to Riker for taking him away from his family. And this moment goes by really fast. But oh my God, like Riker seems to suggest that things aren't going so well at home and his family is happy that he's away. Yeah. What is up? <laughs> no, because what is up with that? I mean, there was like a an element of sadness in their family at the last visit, but it sure. also seemed like a very idyllic family lifestyle that they were building for themselves. So the idea that Riker is fucking up badly enough that his daughter and wife are like, oh, thank God he's out of the house is uh, is pretty troubling. Riker's like, I don't know what their problem is. I like pizza. I like to eat it every day. And eventually <laughs> they just got sick of it and me. <laughs> Ten Forward is a bar that serves alcohol by the pint. Like, you could just take a bottle to your table, and that's what Riker and Picard have done here. They're almost to the end of this thing. Yeah. When Picard finally 
Tell us about the message that he got from Beverly. I, I didn't actually clock this. When he says, I'm going to need the whole bottle, is the bottle full or is it like one of the like three-quarter empty ones that was on the back bar and had a bunch of other drinks served out of it before well, he claimed it? on the table is like a hobo-sized bottle, like yeah. that kind of format, like uh-huh. the kind that you put in a jacket pocket. Right. Do you think yeah. that since Riker got kicked out of the house, he's doing a little bit of Bowen? I just took that moment of silence to uh, to make a big smile about that idea. Yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, there is a, uh, as the mission begins, there is a great amount of joy that Riker is experiencing in a uh, in a wild hogs kind of way, you right, know? Right, right. Yeah. yeah, not gonna be shocked if Morgan Freeman and Tim Allen show up in this, in this yeah. season. Yeah. So- There was also apparently a computer virus situation on board the D during Best of Both Worlds that this Hellbird code word refers him to. Do you? uh, That was something I did not remember about Best of Both Worlds that they were also battling a computer virus at the same time. That's because there was no such reference in Best of Both Worlds. This was retcon. Total retcon. Yeah. But yeah, so what this virus did was just add three to everything. Every number on in the ship's computer apparently got three added to it. So when he adds three to the coordinates that Beverly gave them, it changes what uh what the math is. And oh Ben, I just I just figured it out. Mm. The virus was Nightbird. Mm. And it was the song that Riker just couldn't get the hang of on the trombone. <laughs> <laughs> so Picard did that thing earlier where he told Laris all about the thing that he was told to keep secret. But this seems like another level when he tells Riker. Riker, who is in Starfleet still. Yeah, specifically. Yeah. But also, if there's anyone in the entire galaxy that Picard can trust, it's Riker. So, I mean, Riker is Picard's work husband. So I think that checks out. Yeah, she's she doesn't. <laughs> You probably even know about Laris. Yeah. But she knows about Riker. <laughs> Everyone knows about Riker. <laughs> so Riker tells Picard, look, kind of a lot happened while you were uh, Locutus. And uh, part of it was this virus that added a three to every navigation system coordinate. So if Beverly was talking about the Hellbird, maybe all we need to do here is add three to the coordinates that she gave you. And then when they do that... This ends up changing the coordinates of what Picard was given to a location, a new location outside Federation space that they don't know anything about. And Picard is like, really? A virus? When I was Locutus, I don't remember that. And Riker's like, yeah, every time like the camera cut away and they were like drilling your eyeball or like putting a new arm on you or something, we were back on the on the D working on this computer virus, like installing McAfee and doing all the stuff you got to do. Riker's like, yes, the only virus circulating among the crew of the D was the computer virus. <laughs> there was definitely no other virus <laughs> no way. among the crew. That I can tell you. Having hit upon this, and in a way that makes me think that Beverly kind of wanted Riker involved because Picard wouldn't have figured this out without Riker's help, they depart the bar and uh, we see that some creepy dude was probably listening in and maybe a public space like 10 forward was not a great place to have their extremely hush hush no starfleets involved conversation when he drops 
that thick ass Enterprise D model into his glass before leaving. Yeah, and the liquid in the glass just goes like <laughs> and splashes everywhere because it's like, you know, it's dropping a, a city bus into a swimming pool. His cocktail glass just turns into a Claymore mine and just like <laughs> takes out the six closest people to him in the bar. <laughs> you will get wet. You may get soaked. One of the things we love to do is come up with new merch items mm. on the show. Ben, how how are we not sticking a little sword through yeah. an olive or a cherry on the front of the D? I... Or maybe the nacelles are two skewers? Check it out, Ben. <laughs> and now we're making Gibson martinis Ooh. with one olive and one onion on the end of those nacelles. <laughs> what are we talking about here? I mean, the problem is it's just so risky. If you slip and drop that thing into the drink, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just makes a mess. Your bar's going up like Picard's sunroom on the vineyard. <laughs> that thing's just toothpicks. You broke your little drinks. <laughs> yeah. So they've been spied on. Yeah. And uh, we're about to see a spy story of a different kind over on Metallus Prime, like Terry Metallus. Get it? Oh. Yeah. It's District 6, the bad district. Yeah. The drugs district. Always night and like snowing a little bit in District 6. Yeah. <laughs> it's got a real Americana brand during a. Uh, November kind of vibe. Yeah, it really does because the people that are out like dancing in the streets are in very skimpy clothing. So it's not yeah. cold, but it is snowing. So it's probably Americana at brand like foam snow. Oh, yeah. yeah I love that foam snow. <laughs> so. Raffi meets her dealer, her Orion dealer. Yeah. As if you need to say it. Like, I hate the stereotype, but come on. Yeah. It's uh, it's an ugly stereotype that Star Trek continues to reinforce. I mean, this guy's either Orion or the lights at the bar aren't a color that's good for food service, right? Oh, yeah. John Taffer would flip out if he saw the, the green cast that everybody's skin takes on in this bar. You know, like, this is a singles bar? How are people supposed to pick people up when they look <laughs> like a bunch of Orions? Everybody's going to think they're going to be jumped into some kind of sex slavery. More venereal diseases than the Enterprise D when Riker was captain. In three days, I'm going to turn this place around. You're not going to believe it. But you need to shape up, mister. <laughs> Anyways, she wants back into Starfleet. She's been dumped by Seven of Nine. And she's like really fiending around this this uh, Orion guy. She's like, man, I got like secret information, man. Like, man, I got these cheeseburgers, man. If you could like tell me something that would help me like put, you know, a package of valuable information together. Starfleet will let me back. There's such a difference between a, and I know this from experience, between a drug dealer who is going to put up with your bullshit mm -hmm. to sell you drugs and the moment they're tired of that bullshit. <laughs> because when this Orion starts, like he's just trying to enjoy his oysters or whatever. Yeah. When she starts talking about this experimental tunneling technology, he grabs her wrist and is like, I do not want to hear about this specifically anymore, which is a move I think that suggests that he knows more about this and just does not want 
it's set out in the world. Like he doesn't want to be a, a Riker and Picard having a secret conversation in a bar. He knows better than that. One way that this uh, idealized semi-utopian future is worse than the present or the past is that you can't do the, uh, well, do you think my friend Alexander Hamilton would jog your memory about the quantum <laughs> tunneling tech? Yeah. She has to like sell him some money <laughs> yeah. to jog his memory. Somehow drug deals don't seem a CD when there's a digital currency involved. Yeah. One thing this guy does tell Raffi at the end is like, be careful going down on the red lady. <laughs> and this is very confusing for Raffi. Yeah. So she gets the fuck out. She's like, is this like some kind of reference to season two of Discovery? Like the red angel? What are you talking about? Oh. And he's like, no, I don't want to tell you anymore. But specifically, it's the red lady and not the red angel. When Raffi leaves and rounds the corner, she like clicks open her communicator and it's clear that she is uh, still sober. She's an intelligence officer and she's totally fine recording intelligence officer shit into her communicator. Yeah. She says she wants a debrief. Then she has a little moment with the drugs that she just scored where yeah. she does seem tempted and like, if if you're new to this character, she did have a bit of a substance deal at the beginning of season one, but has been more or less on the straight and narrow since. Hey, Rafi, if you're asking your intelligence officer, Captain, for more credits, how about you sell those drugs for more credits? <laughs> yeah. Why am I the only one thinking of this? Yeah, I mean... Intelligence agencies have been selling drugs in the inner city for time in Miriam. Why, why stop now? <laughs> this seems like that uh, tokens into cash, cash into tokens grift from the beginning of Hard Eight, you know? <laughs> so you just keep circling the bill, John. Get it together, Raffi. Picard and Riker have talked about how they need a ship, but they can't go through the normal channels. And so we get a shuttle trip where they head to the starbase to get themselves a ship via a grift, basically. Yeah. They're going to con Captain Shaw of the Titan, which is the refit of the previous version of the Titan. It's now Neo-Constitution class. Yeah. And we get like full Star Trek movie sex shots of this ship as they approach for what they've decided is going to be a phony like surprise inspection. This is really going to piss off a lot of originalist Star Trek fans who feel like there shouldn't be any messing with the Constitution class. Like, <laughs> it's a perfect ship from jump. The the builders knew what they were doing right, right. and could predict any possible outcome for the centuries to come. Yeah. And I just think that's lazy. That's intellectual laziness. I mean, absolutely. Like, the... Builders of the original Constitution class, their phasers went like this. <laughs> and in this era, listen to these phasers. Like, listen to what they do. It's unbelievable. Yeah. A different deal. Like, <laughs> the Neo-Second Amendment can't get passed <laughs> fast enough. You're right about this Titan reveal. Like the the fetishization of the hero ship in Star Trek is one of Star Trek's best qualities. And 
this moment comes complete with all the chills that you want to have in a moment like this. And that it happens in a Starbase is even better. Yeah. Like the Starbase reveal gave me chills. It was really fun to see the Starbase. A plus sequence all around. Yeah. And a fun surprise when the doors swish open and we meet Commander Annika Hansen? Yeah. Well, this is seven of Commander nine. Annika Hansen, sir. There's a moment here that went by pretty fast where she mentions that Captain Shaw prefers that name to Seven. Yeah. And then like Picard like goes out of his way to call her Commander Hansen like 10 times. <laughs> that like, you know, like correcting himself like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I said it wrong. Well, I mean, that's it's an interesting reference to a kind of dead name moment, right? Yeah. And she clearly bristles at this new name that she's meant to have. She doesn't like it. It's clear that she prefers Seven. And I mean, by the end of the episode, she gets called Seven again. Whoa, spoiler alert. I haven't gotten there yet. Oh, you will. You're watching this for the first time as we record uh -huh. again. Uh-huh. Uh, I kind of felt like uh, it reminded me a little bit of the energy of Ro Laren not being allowed to wear her earring. What a great comp. I love that. Like, this is how it has to be because the captain said so, but it is not my choice. There's a way that we're going to call her Seven on this show. Yeah. There's a way that Seven talks about Captain Shaw that is unmistakably withering. Like, <laughs> she fucking hates him and she doesn't really care who knows it. Yeah. Like, even if Shaw knows it. The mood on this ship is kind of a bummer mood. Like, when they're- Yeah doing their perfunctory inspection of the lined up crew that is there to meet Captain Riker and Admiral Picard and, you know, move their comm badges around and shit. Like these people all seem a little like either like they're assholes who love it here or like they hate it here and aren't assholes. Yeah. <laughs> Canonically, this was at one time Riker's ship and God, what a bummer it had to be for Riker to go off somewhere else and and have Shaw be the guy. This is like a, a Jellico moment, right? Right. You replace Picard with Jellico, you replace Riker with Shaw. Yeah. Not good. Or that guy with the writing crop that got the command of the Excelsior when it was getting dusted off. Boy, I got all sorts of writing crop captain vibes from <laughs> Shaw for sure. They go up to the bridge and meet Ensign Crash LaForge, who... Starts off this moment, like she recognizes Picard and Riker, but they don't recognize her because she's all grown up. How much does Riker know generally about the girls of Starfleet Academy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she does have a reputation for wrecking shuttlecraft, hence the nickname. I kind of thought her nickname maybe should have been Chakotay LaForge. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah, that would have been great. Instead, it's Crash LaForge. Captain Shaw still has not made an appearance as they pull out of space dock. This is one of the best parts of Star Trek is leaving space dock. And this is like a check in the negative column for Captain Shaw that he doesn't even want to be on the bridge for this. Right. Like, Why are you even a captain if you don't want to leave space dock from the bridge? He's sitting in his office catching up on logs. Like, yeah. give me a fucking break. That sucks. I hate this guy. Yeah. Except I secretly really like this guy. <laughs> <laughs> so we get a second sequence of sexy shots of the ship as it leaves space dock, which A plus to whoever like yeah. made the call that like, yeah, we didn't get enough the first time. 
<laughs> I love the shimmery strings of departing space dock. Like this is a thing that we here on Star Trek that that gives you the most chills. It, it's the best. Yeah. It also makes me feel like it is basically a certainty that the Titan is going to sustain some pretty heavy duty battle damage this season. Mm-mm. It's got that new ship smell. Because <laughs> they are making a big deal about how clean and new this ship is looking right now. <laughs> what happened to Starfleet ship design at this point? Neo Constitution seems like a fairly brutalist design aesthetic for a ship, right? All those straight lines and it's like when iPhones went from rounded edges back to squared off angles. That's what this looks like to me. Yeah, it very much recalls the Constitution class in, you know, in profile, but there's just like lots of boxes stapled on everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's uh, how they make them this fast, Adam, because this baby can cook. Yeah, right up to the threshold of salamander transformation (laughs) like achingly close yeah yeah how many thousandths or millionths of a decimal point would it take for you to like begin to change because warp 9.99 is referenced as as maximum speed but like are you feeling a little uh gooey yeah at that point yeah slightly amphibious (laughs) (laughs) you could pull like maybe a little piece of your tongue out of your mouth, but mm. not the whole thing. Right, right. So there's this embarrassing moment where Picard is like, uh, "Like we should tell the engine room to get ready. And they're like, yeah, that's all automatic now. You don't have to call the engine room to go to warp anymore. He looks like a bit of a fool. I mean, is there even an engine room anymore? That's what this scene made me wonder. In what way is Picard dumb here? Yeah, I mean... It just like they keep making the sense the the case that he's like a little bit out of touch with like what's going on currently in Starfleet. Yeah, that felt like a joke that would have hit harder in season one. Like a oh, like he's yeah. been retired for a while. I get it. Yeah, but he's been having adventures for two years now. Yeah, he really has. These new models make that speed so easy. Not a problem. Yeah, it's dinner time, Ben. Dinner with Captain Shaw on the schedule. Looks like. Uh, Adam Ragusia is preparing tonight's meal because he's put the blue food coloring on his steak. Yeah. Make good choices. Captain Shaw has started before his guests, which there is so much about this scene that is compounding. Yeah. It's compounding assholery. (laughs) And... I know this scene is meant to make you hate Shaw because Shaw is unnecessarily cruel to people that we like, but infinite diversity and infinite combinations, Ben, that means assholes too. Yeah. And I love seeing a Captain Shaw here do this to some of our favorite people. It's very uh, Jellico making the Cardassian wait yeah. kind of energy. He like takes a dig at jazz, which really... Makes Riker hot under the collar. Not a fan of jazz. Mm. No, I am not. There's a resentment, isn't there, by people who have achieved their standing through hard work for people who have been perceived to have reached that standing through, like, being cool or whatever. And that seems to be, like, an undercurrent to this scene, too, right? Like, the envy of the unliked. Yeah, toward the liked or just like the envy of the person who 
got there through great effort for the person who just has raw God-given talent. Yeah. And they have different styles. Like he's very critical of the kind of like David May Care adventuring kind of energy that he attributes to Picard and Riker, which is very funny because <laughs> Picard, you know, in TNG was never the like no time for backup sliding over the hood of the cruiser into yeah. into the engagement kind of captain. But that's the reputation he has earned. I mean, anytime you bring up Lacutus at a dinner party where Picard's around, not ideal. Not a great look. I mean, there's like six different ball clobberings happening here that Shaw is doling out. Indeed. One of my great personal failings is like how often I will argue with people in my own head. Mm. And then when I encounter them, I will have felt like I have just been arguing with that person for a while. And they don't know that. Yeah. And this, when Shaw gets dinner started early, he seems like someone who has been arguing with them in his head before they arrived. Like he's already tuned up. He's pre-butting heads with them. And so when they pitch this idea of like, hey, instead of doing the mission that we're supposed to do, why don't we go to the right-hand system and show off how great this ship is? Because it'll, you know, it'll be like a really cool thing for this big holiday that's coming up. You know, the 250-year anniversary of uh, of going boldly. No fat ships allowed, I guess. <laughs> fucking sucks. I wrote down the name of the system that they want to go to, and it auto-corrected to Reichlin system. Wow. Yeah. So uh, I've I've written Reichlin in my notes app often enough. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a that's a system with a nebula that kind of twirls on a on a vertical spit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a low and slow nebula is what it is. Yeah. This is the second biff that Picard does cuz he he misnames a deep space station and Seven tries to get him out of jail conversationally and like do you think that's the thing that tips Shaw over into no because it seems like they are really sliding on the ice of their subterfuge here. Like they don't really have a good grasp of this moment. Yeah. And Shaw just puts them on their heels. Yeah. And it's very clear after Seven sticks her neck out a tiny, tiny bit for Picard that part of Shaw's deal is that he's an XB racist. Yeah. The idea that he has two of them on board his ship right now is not great uh, in his estimation. Shaw not only is the first to eat, he's the first to leave. And when he spikes the football leaving this scene, I mean, I love this moment. He he kind of has a parting shot before rounding the corner. Yeah. Oh, it's so brutal. And it just leaves Picard and Riker and Seven too, just utterly diminished in his wake. There was something about the sound design of that moment that I thought was really great yeah. because he's like out in the hallway as he's saying the thing about like... Gentlemen, I hope you find your room accommodation suitable. They were the best we could do on such short notice. The sound gets kind of like reverby and yeah. just like almost ghostly, <laughs> like very menacing the way it comes off. Yeah. Back on uh, Planet Metallus, Raffi, uh, aboard the La Serena, gets a text message from Starfleet Intelligence. Yeah. And Raffi tells this person that the Red Lady is someone that she's kind of hit a dead end on. And the person on the other end of this pager isn't much help either. Yeah, this is a very creepy debrief because she is 
just exchanging text with this person. Like she speaks out loud, but then gets text back. And it's like pretty clear that she doesn't know exactly who this is. She tries to express that she's really on the edge. She's like living with this horrifying knowledge that this quantum tunneling tech has been stolen, but you know, nobody that she can share it with and no, no feeling that she's making any progress on finding out who has it or what they're planning. She's like, you've seen the cop movie where the cop is undercover so long that they eventually are made to do the eye cocaine in front of the gangsters. Yeah. She's like, I am so close to having to do eye cocaine. You have no idea. <laughs> the handler character like pulls up her, her psych eval and like shows her that she has a substance abuse problem. She's like, thanks. Thanks for reminding me. I thought that was said in confidence. <laughs> it's not like I could go to meetings when I'm under deep cover, you fucking asshole. You are a warrior on screen. Just makes you think it's Worf right away. It really does. Hard, hard not to think that Worf is typing into his iPhone somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Workaholic Worf, clearly. Yeah. And also like the, the kind of description that... Um, they both work with Starfleet, not for Starfleet. It's yeah. like there's some sort of disavowability of both of them in in the way that Rafi is describing it. And also the fact that they don't get out ahead of the terrorist attack uh, makes me think it might be Worf. <laughs> a very reactive security uh, regime that he always ran. When Rafi was having that conversation into the communicator earlier out in the open, I was like, oh, yeah, Worf has trained her. <laughs> <laughs> Smash cut to Picard and Riker on bunk beds. This is utterly humiliating. Yes, it is. A laugh out loud moment for me. I knew that they were going to have a bad room. I thought that the, the bunk bed was a very funny reveal because yeah. they start real tight on Picard's face. Then they go to the wide and show that it's a bunk bed. Yeah. This is real wild hog shit when Riker starts talking about how much he needs to get up to pee. Yeah. If you got to get up to pee a lot, are you really going to be top bunking it? I don't know. I'm, I'm guessing that it, he has to get up fractionally less than Picard. Right. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> are we not also beaming the waste from our crew people on the... Neo-Constitution class? Well, they came aboard at such short notice that they're... Uh... That system's being installed Tuesday, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that the bunk bed is nice. Look at how much room they have for activities, Adam. So many activities! Yeah, you could get off that bunk bed and just do some yoga on the floor there. It's great! This is how we do it! They talk about Beverly and how it's been a couple of decades since anybody has seen her. And it's one of those, I didn't really think that the last time I saw her was going to be the last time I saw her kind of things yeah. for Picard. But they did not end on great terms. And they uh, are kind of worried about like what could have made her desperate enough to reach back out, basically. Yeah reach back out specifically to Picard instead of a son who is a master of space and time. Right. Like, who's going to be more helpful in this situation, you think? Yeah, what, what they had to cut out of this is that the first communicator that started beeping was the one in the Jack Crusher briefcase. And then she was like, <laughs> oh, fuck, that's on our ship. I thought Picard had that. I don't, <laughs> I don't know why I was trying to hail Wesley. Yeah. <laughs> yeah she blows in a hail to wesley and she's like and he's like hey nerd <laughs> hi mom we need to score a lot of black fast 
Top of the morning to you. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality. And this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code TREK50 at factormeals.com slash TREK50 to get 50% off. It has been a long time coming that podshop.biz is as good as it is. The stuff on there is just really high quality, and there's a ton of variety. We've got t-shirts and sweatshirts, obviously, but we've got hats, we've got mugs, we've got water bottles, patches, mouse pads, shower shoes. There's so much great stuff on there. I'm really proud of what we have on offer. I'm proud that the store has a lot of really great size-inclusive options. And uh, I think there's enough variety that just about any friend of DeSoto could find something that they'd really love to have in their collection at podshop.biz. So head over there and give it a look. Why don't you? Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! 
Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Seven calls them to the observation lounge. They get their non-sleeping clothes on and saunter up to meet her. And Seven is pissed at the secret they seem to be keeping from her. You're going to tell me what the hell you two are really doing here? Or I'm about to throw both of you out an airlock and never look back. Watch it, Commander. She's like, I don't know if you noticed, but I hate it here. And you're like, cool, like sneaky, sneaking around subterfuge is basically all I have to live for and you haven't let me in on it yet. So I'm calling your bluff. Like, what are you up to? The sadness of Seven in this episode is not paid off later when Riker and Picard end up leaving again because there was such a pregnancy to like me wanting her to go with because she's got nothing to stay for anyway. Yeah. Yeah. She is having a lot of second thoughts about the choice she made to join Starfleet after years of being a ranger and being sort of like specifically not Starfleet. Janeway and Picard talked her into it and she's high up in Starfleet. She's a commander, but she's a commander on Shaw's ship and that is not going great for her and the slide over the hood yelling no time for backup energy that she has doesn't have a place here. And Picard is like, you know, your gut is my gut. Like I never figured out how to quiet that voice in my head either. Yeah. I'm just like you essentially. I mean, part of what made the crew of the D so special is sort of the complaint that seven has here. Like it doesn't matter what your rank is. It matters far more who you work with right? when it comes to feeling satisfied in your job. True. This is a great reveal, though, because like during this conversation, we don't know that the Titan has headed to this nebula yeah. that they wanted to go in the first place. Yeah. She opens the door to the bridge and says, I give you the Reichland system. <laughs> and Picard is like, it smells delicious. <laughs> You know, it it took a lot of work to get here. (laughs) But when you look at the way the nebula just sort of falls off the bone. (laughs) Still so juicy. (laughs) Oh, yeah. The the rusty nebula is outside glowing brightly, and there's a damaged ship out there, but they can't really tell its condition because the nebula is throwing all sorts of interference out there. Seven's like, look, guys. I got you this far. You got to grab a shuttle while you can. Yeah. And uh, take me with you. <laughs> She's like reaching for them and they just like push her face yeah. slowly away. <laughs> <laughs> Shaw is going to have Seven's ass. He like, he wakes up in the middle of the night to some space thunder and sees what's going on outside his window. 
smells the hickory <laughs> or whatever. Are you one of those people that wakes up to the sleep light? You know? Oh. You know what I'm talking about? Instead of an alarm, it's a, it's a light. It like glows brighter and brighter. Yeah. I don't have one of those. This seems like the effect that has woken up Shah. The rusty nebular glows brightly outside his window. Yeah. And he is pissed. He makes it up to the shuttle, orders his security person to lock the ship down. But uh, Picard, following in the footsteps of Jake Curland before him, <laughs> has stolen a shuttle, Adam. <laughs> Picard takes his hand and sweeps it over his bald head. And, he, and he's like, you know, I too am a slick back child. <laughs> so they head toward the, the Reichland Nebula. Yeah. And we cut back to Raffi continuing to do her search. And she's like, ah, red lady, red lady. Is it a ship? Is it, a, is it an actual lady? Is it some kind of angel that travels through time? Yeah. What is it? And she hits on the idea that it could be related to some big event or gathering. And that leads her to the dedication of a literal big red lady. It's a statue of, uh, of Rachel Garrett, the captain of the Enterprise C. Why would you make the statue red? I don't know. Because that's like the color of material you have in your 3D printer today. It looks like red metal in a way that like, it, if it were like garnet or something, it would oh. be pretty cool if it were like a giant jewel Rachel Garrett. Maybe it's going to have a patina someday. Like, you know how like the Statue of Liberty was like copper yeah. colored originally and then it, it became the green that we're familiar with because of the weather? I'm not sure the statue of Rachel Garrett is going to be doing the recruiting work that they think it is. Like, <laughs> you think about Rachel Garrett, yeah. clearly a hero, one of the best Starfleet captains there ever was. But do you want to join Starfleet after what happened to her? <laughs> it's right outside of the recruiting building. Yeah. She had like a chunk of a girder embedded in her forehead last time we saw her. We'll make it one for the history books. That was the the draft version of the statue was, was a girder <laughs> caving in Rachel Garrett's face. <laughs> I don't think this is quite the direction we want to go in. Yeah. Any alts that we can consider? Yeah. How about something making her look heroic and uh, good for recruiting? Yeah. She's standing there with one hand kind of pointing off into the future. I got to take a leak. That hand is actually shielding her head from a falling girder bed. <laughs> so Raffi realizes that this dedication is happening really soon, and she's got to get over there to this other sector on this planet. And it's daytime over here, and I thought that these like exterior scenes of this planet looked so great. Yeah. Kind of reminded me of the like flyover of Hong Kong screensaver that my Apple TV sometimes shows me. Like, just looked really cool and really really real and like Raffi's like trying to call up the Starfleet recruiting center where this statue is. You know what I really liked about this scene? One of the aspects to why this territorial shot looks so good is is how normal it looks. Like so often we'll get the wide shot setting up a scene and it'll be like Paris night in the rain, <laughs> like a rule of threes making it more interesting. Right. I think part of what makes the tragedy of this moment so apparent is that this looks like any other day. Right. Like it, it looks like a basic ass day at the recruiting station. Yeah. 
Rafi is doing her best to raise someone on the phone, someone in security, to warn them, to tell them that they're in danger, but she's too late. And we see what quantum tunneling technology can do, and we see why the terrorist didn't learn to land buildings. <laughs> this building is dropped like a crab pot on the deck of a boat. <laughs> it is so brutal what happens. Like the way that the laser kind of cuts around its footing and there's that that pregnant moment where like you just see it, it's gone until a, a corresponding circle opens up in the sky. Yeah. It is a terrifically horrible scene. Yeah. I wonder if they worried about comparisons to, uh, what's that Marvel character? Doctor Strange makes kind of mm. like, he makes holes that are very similar to this. Yeah. It doesn't really look like that, but uh, but yeah, scary, scary moment. Rachel Garrett's statue still standing. <laughs> so what was the target? Yeah. Yeah. They missed. They cut away before you see like there's a second tunneling laser going <laughs> underneath the Rachel Garrett statue. Right. And then it gets dropped on top. Yeah. And then building seven, for some reason, also falls on, an, on a part of the city, but there doesn't seem to be any quantum tunneling technology used. And so it's yeah. like, what happened there? I know. Uh, look, we're just asking questions. Yeah. Like everybody knows that quantum tunnels can't melt steel beams. And I think that uh, that any engineer or architect will tell you the same. <laughs> Or Seattle Seahawks football coach. <laughs> this is really setting Rafi up for another season where she is racked with horror and guilt because her, her worst fear has come true. Yeah. She did not save the day. She hasn't seen a hole this torn up since, uh, well... <laughs> And she hooked up with seven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's just say seven learned a few things as a board. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she incorporated a lot of culture's distinctiveness into her sexual technique. Yeah. If I were you, I'd lower my expectations. We cut back to Picard and Riker's shuttle where they are coming up on Beverly's ship. Yeah. They get her bio sign. It's flickering in and out. It looks like, uh, a pretty dangerous situation. So they dock the shuttle and they go inside Dust Busters out. I was surprised at how little this starship was because like before yeah. the shuttle docks with it, you have no sense of its scale. Yeah. And so I was assuming it was a like normal Starfleet ship. It's a really little ship. Yeah. Yeah. And clearly like a crew of two that we find out later, this mixtape is still playing, which suggests that the, the mixtape that Picard made for Beverly all those years ago, is like days long. Yeah. And I grew up in a time where like giving a person a mixtape was like a pretty intimate moment. It was something that conveyed like something that you cared about. Like these are songs that are special to me or songs that make me think of you. Right. But I think you kind of circumnavigate romance into creepiness when that mixtape is like, 40 mixtapes <laughs> and you give that person like the case logic binder and it's like cd after cd after cd right yeah that tips over into serial killer and yeah. <laughs> i spent six months working on this <laughs> sometimes there are logs as interstitials so we uh 
have a little moment of levity as old man Riker and old man Picard prepare for what they think might be a firefight and talk about their arthritis and their achy knees before yeah. this action scene that doesn't materialize. And they take a little walk through the crime scene of the cold open. They find like the weird ashes from the phaser fire that she exchanged with the bad guys. Picard enters the bridge and finds Beverly in a pod. He does the full like wiping the glass and everything. You got to wipe the glass. But it turns out the frost is on the inside. Yeah. That's like the rule of threes version of Picard getting something wrong this episode. Like, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> and then he pushes the button that's like a rectangle with three little squiggly arrows going up. And, and that turns on the little horizontal wires in the glass to defrost it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that, that's the thing. Like, you wipe it one time with your hand and it's just ruined. You see forever. it forever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah sucks yeah so this distraction of the biopod uh, was enough for Riker to have the drop gotten on him and you hate to see this the other dude that was on board the ship in the cold open has a gun to the back of Riker's head and Picard turns around with the gun and and makes the case like we all care about Beverly you clearly put her in a biopod I came to rescue her therefore we're friends and then Riker like throws an elbow at the guy's temple. <laughs> I love this moment. It's a study in contrast. <laughs> yeah. Riker is not waiting for a detente to be achieved. He just beats the guy up and steals the gun away from him. And I like this because also like they've made a big deal about how their bodies are not quite as like combat ready as they once were. But also, Riker's been in enough fights that he knows how to just use the element of surprise to get one over on someone. Sure. An elbow is a pretty sturdy bone, also. Yeah. This dude, it turns out, is Beverly's son. My son. My son. We hear the single piano key of probable paternity here as the camera darts around to all of our characters. Yeah, Picard is like counting on his fingers how many years it was <laughs> since he last saw Beverly. <laughs> well, I did put ignition on the mixtape for Beverly. <laughs> and I know that now that's sort of weird, but back then we didn't know as much. <laughs> well, he does have a pretty full head of hair. Maybe it's not mine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They get next to zero time to consider this when an unknown vessel rolls up on them and Beverly's son is panicked. Yeah. He starts talking about how long they've been hunted by these people, these people Yeah, in a very scary looking ship that comes out with a lot of bois sounds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's not warning bois. You're talking about inception bois. Yeah. I love on the wide shot here the dirty lens effect of this yeah. shot. The wide shot, you can see like there's, like if you wipe a lens and then shoot something that's far in the in the distance, like zoomed in, you get this effect Yeah. on the lens. Like if a lens is slightly dirty and I love this detail to the shot. It's really cool. We don't get a lot about this ship, but uh, it's got those nub and bug pincers. So I'm just, I'm, I'm going with it. It has something to do with the nub and bugs. But that is a, a fade to black moment. 
the meme for the episode is numbered bug straight ahead and the off ramp is uh, <laughs> forward facing Ferengi ships. <laughs> we'll see if this show takes the exit. I thought it was very interesting that the first contact theme is what plays over the credit sequence that we get at the end of this. Hard not to get the chills listening to this specific tune. And also hard not to get the chills seeing the kind of TNG treatment to all the titles after that. Like it's sort of TNG treatment to these. And then like when we fade to black in the background, it's like it's the TNG font, which they never used to do. I love the post-episode theme treatment that we get here. I love that it low-key emphasizes the story and the actors, and it puts them ahead of the creative and production team. Yeah. Like, I don't know how deeply they thought about that aspect of it, but it's something I definitely considered. It's a very strong start to a season, but Adam, did you like this episode? I watched this episode three times. I I mean, our screeners have a five watch limit to them. Yeah. I'm going to watch this episode five times before it's over. <laughs> okay, but remember Wendy was saying she was having trouble with her screeners? Don't, don't oh, use shit. it up before That's we right. know for sure we're out of the woods on that. I got to save some screeners for Wendy. All right, I will do that. Yeah. By saying that, what I'm trying to say is I really, really, really enjoyed watching this episode. And- We've been reading for a while on social media, people posting really effusively enthusiastic, positive things about Picard season three. And I kind of, I hated reading them because I don't want to be told how to feel about a thing before I experience it. Right. But I couldn't help it. Like I couldn't help but going into this feeling like I was going to love it. And that's such a setup for disappointment when you do that. But this episode was strong enough and good enough in my mind that it beat the danger of that. And it's an episode that I really liked. Remains to be seen like at the end of the season what this will end up being, but it's a hell of a start. Yeah. A hell of a fun start totally. to the whole thing. And it gets me excited for the rest of it. What about you? Yeah, I think it's a very impressive episode in a lot of ways because I think that there are some really legitimate criticisms of season two, especially. I think season two wasn't as strong as season one. And there's some legitimate criticisms of season one, too. This felt like it used what was good of those seasons without, you know, just throwing them to the wolves and saying we never did that. You know, it doesn't like in some ways it does feel like a reboot of the series. And in other ways, it feels like it honors them. Like we still get the La Serena Some of the characters are still here. It recalls that in a way that doesn't feel like it is risking the potential goodness of this season. And it brings in all these new elements that are also old elements from TNG in a lot of cases that feel like it's setting it up for a different kind of success. So, you know, I think that uh, from what I understand, like the COVID issues and the many other kind of like unusual production issues that happened on season two turned that into just like the nightmare shoot of all nightmare shoots and that everybody came away from making season three feeling a lot more confident in it. Like that's just the the kind of like word on the street. But didn't they shoot these two seasons consecutively? 
Yeah, but but I think that like the world had changed enough by the time they were done with yeah. the season two stuff that like some of those problems were just weren't plaguing the the show this time around. And um, overall, I'm I'm super excited for this season, and I think that's what a first episode needs to do. So yeah, yeah, really excited. I'm also excited to see if we have anything interesting in the priority one inbox, Adam. They're still in space, Doc Ben. <laughs> Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Here's our first one. It's of a promotional nature. It is from the podcast Open Pike Night. Hey, we've heard of the Open Pike Night podcast. Message goes like this. Where can you go to get your thoughts on Strange New Worlds heard and directly ask the cast and crew questions? Open Pike Night, the Strange New Worlds podcast where your personal logs are the prime directive exclusive stories like Melissa Navia's audition scene, how Dan Jeanette saved Sam Kirk's mustache, wow, and the writer's short-lived D&D game. Plus, ask them your own questions. Detailed analysis during the season and in-depth interviews between. Visit openpike.com to find everything you need to get on stage. And the call to action here is to uh, go ahead and download and subscribe to Open Pike Night wherever you get your podcasts. I bet Open Pike Night is available in the same podcast app that you're using to listen to this show right here. Yeah. Yeah. Chances seem good. Yeah, they are a, a heavy interview Star Trek podcast, sort of the uh, the mirror universe version of our own, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> hey, uh, we got another Priority One message here. It's from Samantha Sachs, and it's to Nick Kronk, and it goes like this. Happy birthday, Nick Kronk, from your wife, Samantha Sachs, who has grown to love The Greatest Generation and its sibling podcasts, even though she does not understand any of the Star Trek stuff. (laughs) Get ready to understand it, is what I'd say. (laughs) Nick, you sound like a very lucky person to have a wife like Samantha Sachs. Uh, Happy birthday from me and Adam as well. Well, there you have it, whether or not you have a very patient partner or you've got a Star Trek podcast that you're looking to get the greatest gen bump for, you can take it on over to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Get your messages read on the air by me and Ben. It's a great way to support the production of our show. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself an Edward Larkin? Hard to ignore the bigness of a Captain Shaw (laughs) and how largely he looms this episode. Uh, Todd Stashwick is the actor who plays Captain Shaw. A familiar face. Yeah, definitely seen him in stuff. Playing a different kind of riding crop captain. For so long, we've gotten the bad admiral in Star Trek. Mm -hmm. Lest we forget the bad captains that are so numerous throughout Starfleet. I love this reminder. (laughs) Not all captains are great captains. Yeah. But also what feels like a setup for Captain Shaw to become one. You put a bad captain in proximity to a Riker and Picard. Maybe some good will come of this. Maybe he will become a well-liked captain that he is so envious of during that dinner scene. So I'm going to make him the first Edward Larkin of season three of Picard. What about you, Ben? I'm going to give mine to the man himself, Picard, for taking his super secret tell no one in Starfleet 
message directly to a very public space yeah <laughs> that probably a lot of like starfleet nerds hang out in like sure if there are people that are like fans of starfleet in the future they definitely hang out at 10 forward right like a bar that sells starfleet merch <laughs> yeah picard is like a uh a director of an upcoming Star Wars film talking about that film in <laughs> Disneyland at Ula's Cantina <laughs> openly. Like, bad place for that. Yeah, extremely chaotic choice by Picard. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, I would understand it if Guinan was there, I suppose. Yeah. Just because, like, nice to see Guinan or whatever. Sure. He didn't even do it for that reason. Yeah, you give Picard a pint of liquor. And uh, all the secrets come spilling out. <laughs> Will, have I told you about this specific thing that Lairless does in the, in the bedroom? Romulans have techniques with their tongues that humans would do well to consider. You know, famously, for a Romulan, the front door is actually in the back. <laughs> Fuck, dirty old man Picard is a yeah. is a rich vein. I can't believe we've not mined before. Yeah. I love it. I love this, Ben. Yeah. Episode one, season three of Picard, in the books. Yeah. We're gonna keep dropping Greatest Trek episodes the Friday after the episodes premiere. And we're gonna do that as long as we keep getting screeners. We feel like that's a good service to the friends of DeSoto. Get these episodes out as soon as possible for their love and ears. Yeah, and this is something that we are able to do, you know, in part because uh, we are getting screeners ahead of time, but also in part because we've been able to kind of uh, professionalize our operation and like these edits happen during the work week and stuff. And, you know, Wendy is a full-time producer and editor. So all of this works because of the largesse of the Friends of DeSoto, who sometimes, Adam, send up warning boys on social media and uh, in Apple podcast reviews to tell people what they like about what we do. And we like to share a warning bois uh, at the end of every episode of Greatest Trek. Would you like to read one, Adam? I am flipping through the many, many, many dozens of messages about our show to find the one I'm going to read here today. Prepare a buoy and launch it when ready. Warning buoys. An emergency buoy. A warning buoy. At Big Bercy on Twitter <laughs> has replied to Jonathan Frakes <laughs> with a suggestion to listen to the Greatest Generation slash Greatest Trek podcast. Wow. Big Bercy saying more to Jonathan Frakes than you ever have when given the opportunity. I wouldn't. I couldn't. <laughs> Too scared. Bruce Sutherland goes on to say they break down every episode in a snarky, humorous way. They've done TNG, DS9, and are in the back half of Voyager. They also do the same on Greatest Trek for all the new series, like this one. Man, got to love someone sliding into the menchies on a main cast character. Makes me a little bit nervous, but... Uh, hey, Ben, yeah. one like on this message. <laughs> Clicked on what the like is. Oh, it's our Twitter account. It's at Greatest Trek. <laughs> Jonathan Frakes may have seen this, but we'll never know. Uh, yeah. Oh, no, I'm seeing Frakes actually replied to this and says blocked and reported. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Well, thanks for getting the word out, Bruce. And thanks to uh, everyone who writes a nice thing about Greatest Trek. It helps get the word out. Yeah, it really does. Uh, thank you so much to all of our supporters and uh 
One consequence of our little uh, change to a Friday schedule is that we are now releasing these episodes ahead of the episode description embargo for the next episode of Star Trek Picard. So we know what the one sentence description of next week's episode is, but we cannot share it with you. Right. But Wendy will have a lot of other pertinent information for you coming up real soon. Thanks, Wendy. Greatest Trek is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, and it's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. We'll be back in your feed next Friday with a review of episode two of Star Trek Picard. And every episode, we want to say thank you to the members who are supporting the ongoing production of both Greatest Gen and Greatest Trek. Members really do make these shows possible. And for that, they get monthly bonus content from Uxbridge Shimoda. Just this week, a new episode of the Santa Monica Mountains podcast dropped with review of Muddy Waters from season one of Baywatch. Thank you to Adam Ragusea for creating the original music that you hear on this show. You can find his podcast and his YouTube cooking channel by searching for Adam Ragusea. Thanks to Nick Ditmore for the show art and Bill Tilly for managing the social media pages on Instagram and Twitter. Make sure you're following at Greatest Trek and use the hashtag Greatest Trek when you talk about the show online. Podshop.biz is the place to go for merch and you can connect with other friends of DeSoto on Discord at DrunkShimoda.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Greatest Trek. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.